0: If you're a flute and you're sitting there, you're like, I sound nothing like the timpani or I wish I sounded more like a violin. Well, you're not a violin and you never will be. A violin is a violin. That ain't your job. Your job is to play the beautiful music that you play. And when all the instruments are playing, it's beautiful music, okay? It's not just, if we were all one instrument, it might be cool, but it wouldn't nearly be the level of beauty of a full orchestra.
1: Hello, friends and damn givers. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. This is the show where I talk with people who are trying to live a meaningful life, people who give a damn. You're going to love, love, absolutely love my guest this week, guaranteed. Jedediah Jenkins is a fantastic writer, an incredible storyteller, a master wordsmith, and an all-around damn good human. But before I tell you more about Jedediah, this episode is sponsored by, well, me and some of you. We have cultivated a few very strategic partnerships over the years, and y'all have been so amazing to interact with those organizations and companies when we have them on the show. But for the most part, I've paid for this podcast to be produced each and every week for the last three, four years. And please don't hear that as a complaint. I love you all, I love this podcast, and I'm going to keep putting it out no matter what. While I pay for this podcast to be made, most of the time, some of you do support this podcast through our Patreon. And I have done a terrible job, honestly, inviting you all to support the work we do over on Patreon. So here it is. I'm going to try to do a little better over these next few weeks and months. If you want to help Let's Give a Damn grow, please consider supporting us on Patreon. For the price of a cup of coffee each month, you can become part of our Let's Give a Damn family. Learn more at patreon.com slash let's give a damn. We have so much more to build and We need your help. And even if you can't support us on Patreon, another super important way you can support us is by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps a ton. Friends, I honestly hate talking about this shit because I love doing this, and I want you to enjoy everything that we make, regardless of whether you can support us or not. But it does cost me many thousands of dollars to make this show, so if you can help out, great. If not, I still love the hell out of you. Okay, enough about that. Back to my guest. Jedediah started writing down his ponderings and doubts and curiosities on Instagram, and well, people really fell in love with him to the tune of hundreds of thousands of people. He wrote a New York Times best-selling book called To Shake the Sleeping Self, a memoir about his 10,000-mile bike ride from Oregon to Patagonia. And recently, he wrote another amazing book called Like Streams to the Ocean, Notes on Ego love, and the things that make us who we are. It came out last month, and if you haven't read it yet, hit pause right now, call your local bookstore, and order a copy. It's so damn good, my friends. Jed is also the co-founder of Beda, a company that aims to change the way we drink on the go. They make beautiful water bottles and coffee mugs, and over the past couple of years, they have prevented some 15 million disposable cups and water bottles from being used. That's amazing work. You can learn more about their work and buy their products at mybita.com. That's M-Y-B-Y-T-A dot com. Bottom line, my friends, there is no way you don't love Jedediah Jenkins by the time this conversation is over. Before we jump into this conversation, a quick reminder that you can, anytime and for any reason, email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love hearing from you. And now, without further ado, let's get right into my conversation with the incredible Jedediah Jenkins. Let's go. Jedediah Jenkins, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast.
0: I'm happy to be here.
1: (laughs) I am, I'm going to start this conversation out differently than maybe anyone that I've ever started out. And here's, here's where I'm going with it. Cause I usually, well, we'll get to the other things as well, but I'm going to start right here. I'm going to hit you in the face with some like hardcore doting. Um, So here's, (laughs) here's, here's what I'm going to say. I've had some really. I, I love what I get to do. I've had some really well-known people on this podcast, you know, Rain Wilson, McConaughey, Priyanka Chopra, Jonas, Chelsea Clinton, really amazing people doing incredible things. And I don't say it to brag. I just say like, I'm super fucking lucky. And when I said that I was having you on, it was a different tone of feedback from people. It was a different kind of feedback. And so I want you, it was, it was just people get like a, they get weird when they talk about you in like a good way you have this effect on people that even if they they just know you through the internet, they feel like they're your friend, which is hard to do in internet land, right? Because internet land is so, I mean, social media is such a shit show. And uh, I mean, I spent la- I spent 45 minutes too long, but I spent 45 minutes last night fighting with white evangelicals about this equality bill that passed, right? <laughs> and so like, it's such a weird place to feel, it's easy to feel hated and it's hard to feel loved, right? And so, I just wanted to start out by making sure that you know that you are loved by a lot of people.
0: <laughs> oh my God.
1: And um, wow. <laughs> well, I want to make sure you really feel that. It's hard, again, during this pandemic as well, where you're not seeing a lot of people. I'm not seeing a lot of people. I'm majorly people deprived. I just want you to know that, that like whatever you're doing, Uh, you're doing something right because people feel loved, not just by your words, but just by how you present yourself to them. So do you feel loved?
0: Wow. Thank you for saying that and like caring enough to remind me of that. And no, I don't always feel loved, but I do in general, I do feel the love and people are so kind to me. I think one of the ultimate benefits of being a memoirist who like trades in vulnerability and confession is that I walk around the world. I walk through the world feeling like I have no secrets. Mm. It's not like someone can like uncover the real me and then reject me. And so sure. I ha- I don't have a mask. Yep. <clears throat> and so it's a really, and it's a really special thing to know that when someone reads my books or follows me on the internet and engages with me, they're getting a very real experience. Yeah, And that is completely born of growing up in Nashville, Tennessee, evangelical Christian and being gay and and feeling like I wore a mask that was suffocating me and going to kill me. And it took me all of my 20s and then into my 30s to really like really find that like, exhale that identity, that strength. And it's sort of, it's the power of juxtaposition. And like, they say that you're, they say that what wounds you becomes your mission. As you know, when you find your power, what wounded Mm. you becomes your mission. And for me, it's like, I was wounded by a structure and a system that tried to make me someone I wasn't. And so now my adult life is pretty much dedicated to authentic expression of identity. And so thank you for those kind words. And I like, when I, when people write me or tell me that, or my friends, I just, I feel so validated in my vulnerability, which mm. I hope makes other people feel safer too.
1: Well, I, I I think it does. Like, there are so few people putting the, their real selves out there. Again, not to go back to social media, but especially on social media, it's very much yeah. this like weird Like, you know, you put up the best picture, the best filter, blah, 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 but not many people, not many people out there know of all their homies and all their friends, you know, when they had their first kiss, when they lost their virginity, like all that (laughs) stuff, like you don't know that. And you, you get to kind of, uh, I mean, people are willful recipients, but you get to like thrust all that information on people. And then they, they get to wrestle with it and say, okay, am I living authentically because it is a, it is. I try to do that. I'm not a memoirist. I am real in various different ways, but mm. I try to be like the real me. I've talked about all sorts of crazy shit on this podcast about my upbringing and and mm. the abuse that I experienced and the things that I still struggle with. You know, last night on my Instagram stories, it was it was, hey, I'm having a shitty day. Thad Cockrell's song fill me up, like really encouraged me. I yelled at my kids too much today. Like I was, like I I want to <laughs> do that because. I think more people, m- most people want to be that authentic, but they feel like they'll get rejected if they are that authentic. And mm-hmm. you're one of, you know, many people out there saying, no, 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 no. You'll actually be more accepted if you present the real you. We Because uh, pe- people don't want the fake version of you. They want to know what you're struggling with so they can help and come alongside and love you and rebuke you if needed. But if you're, you know, giving them this like half-assed, half-baked, you know, view of yourself, um, you can't dig into that. You can't, can't Mm. go deep into that. Right.
0: There's something that, um, Glennon Doyle Melton says that I think is so profound because you also see the shadow side of what you're describing is people getting on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and, and potentially oversharing and like looking for validation from other people when they talk about how, sad they are, how depressed, how this or that. And it's you, sometimes you'll read that or see that and be like, oh, this feels not like sharing out of like bravery of vulnerability, but actually like a cry for help in the wrong place. And so what Glennon says so brilliantly, she says, "Uh, write from your scars, not from your wounds, like write in your journal from your wounds. Mm. But if you're gonna start telling people write from your scars. And I thought that was so brilliant.
1: That's so helpful. yeah you're, you're you're so right to point out that we are also the the other side of the coin that I was sharing is that people do overshare and you're so right this I mean and Glennon is a queen like that's such a that's such an, a spot on observation that we need to be vulnerable because yeah, and we're gonna get into that because you are obviously it's very clear when you're writing uh, which we'll, we'll get into in a minute, you're not, I'm not saying entirely, I'm not saying a hundred percent of the time, but you're not writing out of your open, you know, gaping wounds, right? You're, you're writing, you know, looking at those scars and saying, what did I learn and how can I help others with mm. in their healing process? Right.
0: Well, there's like, to me, there's almost like a conveyor belt of emotion. So like, if you are open sore, bleeding wounds, yeah those wounds need intimate care. So your closest friends, your family, or if if you have a family that is safe, you're like, because you need the full context of someone who really knows you, who knows your history, who will sit with you and not leave you, like who, who has wisdom and all these things. So if you just, if you pour your open wound onto the internet, you're pouring it onto passive viewers who are doing something else, They're at a red light looking at their phone, and then they're seeing this, and they are neither equipped nor appropriate to then give you the validation and the safety that you need because you're actually bleeding emotionally and spiritually, whatever. And so you need to start there with your intimate closest friends. By God, I hope you have them and your safest place. And then as you process, like for me, almost every single piece of writing in like Streams to the Ocean, which a, a lot of it comes from my writing online is I will have these conversations with my friends, yeah, and it, through those conversations, at in the middle or the end of the conversation, a light bulb will go off, and I'll be like, "Oh my God, that wound just got a scar." You know, like, "Oh my God, I know what that means now." Whereas before, it just was it was cloudy in my mind and bothering me and like making me sad, making me depressed, and then all of a sudden it goes. And it locks into focus, and whenever that happens, I always grab my phone and l- make a voice note because I'll forget yeah. I have the I have no memory, and I'm often drunk, so it's like, <laughs> what did I say? Blah 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 blah. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Or okay, that I didn't do very well there. It doesn't make any sense. But I I just feel like once you've got some clarity there, you can move on to then maybe sharing. And at the but there's also the caveat of. I actually enjoy sharing publicly my confusion part of mm. my job is to like be clear-minded about things Yep. but sometimes I like to write about I just like don't know what any of this means whether it's the state of politics in this country race relations whatever and I'll just kind of work things out but yeah. that isn't emotional vulnerable woundedness it is intellectual discomfort, which that to me is appropriate in the public sphere to some degree.
1: Yeah, super appropriate. I think, uh, you know, n- no one wants to feel uh, too inferior to the people they look up to. You know, if they're looking up to you as a as a guide, as a memoirist, you know, like I, you know, I, I look to Jedi's experiences and then learn from them. They don't want you to look or feel perfect. They want yeah. you to come forward with those hey, I'm a little confused about this. Let's wrestle through it, right? And I love a few minutes ago how you pointed out because that, again, I think that points to your, uh, the healed nature of where you're coming from is you said, you know, friends and family, if they're safe. Mm. That is such a huge thing, right? We <laughs> yeah. just, we, we, because I, I think default, you come from evangelical Christianity. I come from evangelical Christianity. And it was always assumed that family was a safe place. Yeah. So, yeah, like you need to be f- loyal and faithful to your family. And if you have a problem, go to your dad, go to your mom, go to these people. And the conversation that wasn't happening there is there's all kinds of abuse happening here. I mean, there <laughs> yeah. are dads. Sometimes the worst that like yes, there rock are, your d- life
0: for the rest of your life. A
1: hundred percent. Because these are the people that you are supposed to be able to trust. There are dads raping their kids. There <laughs> are moms, you know, verbally abusing their Like there's all this abuse happening in that place. And you're like, oh, go back to your family. So, I I love that you even pointed out, like, hey, if you have family, like, hopefully you do, but the reality is that most, or since they most, many people don't. They don't have a safe place in their family. And this year, or rather the last five years since 2015, since, you know, (laughs) a certain someone came down an escalator, uh, family became even less safe for a lot of people because they were Uh. like, wait, I still love you, but you you align with that or you, how did you, how did you find it in yourself, in your, and unfortunately most of it goes, most of those people were evangelical Christians, right? Like how did you find it in your Christianity, in your worldview to like even remotely ever support what's
0: going on there, right? Oh my God. I mean, well, that was, it was such an interesting litmus test to, oh, what do you really care about? Because you always said you cared. I mean, I am 38. I was raised like As my brain came online, it was the Bill Clinton sex scandal. Yeah. And my family all day would rail and scream at the television about how this, this immoral man is president. And if your morality isn't in check, you have no right leading this country. That was like all I heard and how him lying under oath about is the definition of whatever it, I forget what it was. Um, I was like, oh, okay. So they're like really moral sticklers. And then this happens and I'm like, oh, okay. So they think that's what they're doing. That's but that's not actually what they're doing. Yeah. You know, which we all do that. I'm not saying that the other side, I mean, all sides like speak out of one side of their mouth and do something else to some degree. I I, I do not want to make a false equivalency. I there are both sides are not equally bad in my opinion, but We are all human who are motivated by like myths and stories we tell ourselves and that yep. are not always accurate. And so- Yeah, no,
1: totally. I mean, if, 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 if people on the left are right now, right now, not maybe they don't even have to vocally say, it, cause I get not wanting to get into the social media fray, but if they're not at least thinking, oh shit, it's not even two months into Biden's presidency and he's already bombing Syria last right. yesterday like if they're not thinking that's a problem that americans don't have relief checks like he promised and yet we're bombing <laughs> syria like then you're taking this thing way too far oh the rights the right is the problem no both are the problem i agree with you as well mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. one side has less of a problem uh one side is way more pro-life than the other and it's not the one that calls himself <laughs> pro-life but if we can't be very honest about no, no no, no both sides have issues i mean there are already they're not cages, but they're they're weird little, like, mobile home structures that they're going to keep, you know, detain uh, undocumented immigrants in, right? It's the same thing. It just looks different. Right. It's a different
0: – Oh, yeah. Obama did it. And by the way, there, that's the, like – I don't – I mean, it's always been this way, but maybe Twitter makes it worse. Maybe it just exposes what's always been there. But, like, like if an unaccompanied minor arrives at the border, they can't just walk in. Like, there, ha- there is a system that you have to like you have to they have to go through a court system they have they're they're like under 18 now they're a ward of the state until this time passes where they can figure out if they're asylum w- whatever and so it's like a migrant like an unaccompanied minor migrant center or whatever is like well what is, what's, what are you expecting us to do right. and so but but it gets so politicized on either side when it's like well, what are you really asking for? Like zero borders? Some people want that. Some people actually just, they believe we're all human in the earth. Like from space, you can't see a border. It's like, okay, great. Okay, if that's what you want, then great. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. But I don't think people actually know what they're asking for. They're just parroting what they heard their side say and they're getting amped up and they're like basically signaling that they're their team, they're like waving their flag. I mean, it's so interesting to me we don't have to go down a whole political, like,
1: we go wherever.
0: But but like, I saw liberals dunking on conservatives that we don't have flags. Like we don't have like Biden flags and we don't have Biden stickers and we don't have all these things because we're not like, we're not that basic and stupid to like have to signal like that. But at the same time we use lingo. We change our Instagram bios. We like, We signal to each other exactly the same way. We just have decided it's more nuanced, but we're, we're waving flags constantly to signal who we're, who side we're on, which is what humans do. We like figure out our allegiance and then we make sure people know our allegiance so that our own side will bring us in and invite us in and protect and defend us. And also, so the other side is scared. And so we're all doing it.
1: We are all doing it and we need to and I'm speaking to myself if I had a mirror in front of me right now, Nick, you do it too even though you think you do it less than them, but you're still doing it and we need to have a lot more grace for each other and a lot more I shared this video the other day of um I saw it on TikTok. This guy was this guy was a conservative and he was confessing like real, like real legitimate like confession. Yeah. Hey, I spent most of last year thinking uh this pandemic was fake. I didn't wear a mask. I didn't comply by the orders. And then somebody close to me died from it. And I hate that I had to take that, but I'm so very sorry for being that guy. And I'm taking it seriously now and I've changed my ways and I'm trying to help be a part of the solution, right? Like we need to have grace for the, I would say, the huge number of people that are somewhere in, in there. They might be, it might take them a month to get there. And I'm just talking about the pandemic, you know, one issue, but whether it's Trump or pandemic or whatever, guns, like it might take them a little bit to get there, but they're definitely not going to get to the place where they're repenting, where they're saying, I'm sorry. If they're not going to get there when we hate on them, they're not going to get there oh, because no. we shit no, on no, them.
0: It's just, it's just what humans have been doing since the dawn of time is like beating each other with sticks and clubs. It's like and not having dialogue. I mean, I I really recommend I'm listening to Jill Lepore's book These Truths on audiobook cuz mm. the book is huge. It's like as big as the Bible. But it came out a couple years ago or last year and it's basically her giant overview of American history. How the constitution was written how the civil war came to be like and there's just a lot of like in politics there's a lot of like hearkening back to the past or this is what the constitution meant or this is what like we're a christian nation founded on christian principles like people are like using all this lingo and they have no idea what they're talking about and right guarantee you not one of them has read the constitution and so this book is so good. It's so riveting. And it, it also is this like a salve for being alive Mm. and surviving 2020 and January, 2021, which is you realize that we are not really living in unprecedented times. Like humans are just bastard idiots all the time. And it's like, and we're all refining and working to like Plug the holes of a sinking ship. The moment we plug one, we have to run to the other side and plug a new one because it's just <laughs> like that's how it works. That is human society, and I don't know. It's it's very good and it gives me hope and calm and peace, which is always what I'm looking for. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we we need so much of that. Okay, so on the to- topic of pandemics, um because we need to talk about that more. Not really, but. Um, <laughs> You know, we we thought this thing was gonna be over in a few months. It's not, we're a year in. And I think I can technically say, I've been doing this zero COVID project with some of the top um, scientists, epidemiologists, virologists in the country. So I'm like in the COVID conversation every single day uh, with a lot of the work that I do. So I think I can safely say we're still in the middle of this. Like it's not, maybe mm-hmm. not in the middle, but like, it's not even close to being over with all the variants and the mutations, right. like the, vi- the, 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 vaccine's great, like pump it into my veins, but who knows if it'll even work with all the new shit coming out. Mm-hmm. So we're still in the middle of this. We're a year in, I think, are you in Enneagram seven?
0: Oh yeah. Okay. I
1: I, I I figured as much. I'm a hardcore eight, but I have a seven wing and you're also a huge, like extrovert people person. Oh yeah. So this has probably been like a really hard shitty year in that respect. Right. How, how have you been doing? How are you like taking care of yourself? What's it been like for the last year?
0: Well, okay. So it, it's not been ideal. Like I, you know, I'm trying to travel. I'm trying to see, but my extrovertedness can be scratched easier than I thought. Like, I don't need to see a fjord in New Zealand that I've never seen to feel like I saw something I can get in my Jeep and drive to the desert Mm. an hour outside of LA and find a new Canyon or a new cactus and be very excited. And so I'm so grateful that I live in a place that has an abundance of outdoors to like, I just spent so much time outdoors last year, which was really great. Also, I, I learned a new word last weekend called pronoia, which is the opposite of paranoia. Oh. And it's basically like you just are confident everything's gonna be okay. And you like see the best in everything as opposed to paranoid. And I am definitely a person who suffers and thrives from pronoia because I'm just like, I always see the bright side, I see the mm. silver lining. I'm stuck at home in a pandemic. Oh my God, I'm gonna. I'm going to go to the garden store and get like 10,000 wildflower seeds and grow them. And then I do. And then I'm like waking up every morning, running outside to see if they've grown a centimeter or whatever. And I'm lucky enough also to have a backyard with a fire pit. So I've been able to see people ish throughout the year. And I also live with three guys who I love who are like yeah, some of my so best got, friends. Yeah.
1: So you so get I that had, like camaraderie there.
0: Yeah. And like a sense of built in community and going through something with others. Um, but there was this great Atlantic article about the loss of an entire category of friendship, which is friendly acquaintances, the people you bump into the people that you see here and there, the people that like, you know, them, they're the friend of your friend. You see them a few times a year. You really like them, but it's not like they're your closest homies. Like you lost your inner circle and maybe one depending on how social you are maybe one ring out you stayed in contact with but then the third and fourth ring of friends and people you know and acquaintances are just deleted they're gone maybe you see them on instagram at best and that they they were making the case that that's just really sad we didn't realize that we needed that stimulus like talking like talking to you we've never really hung out but like the freshness of your mind and the way you speak is very stimulating to me. And it's mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, like finally not one of my roommates talking to me. It's like someone else. Yes. With a great mind. And like, but also what I miss is friends of friends. Like, like we 100%. are connected in, in, in a similar world. So like the algorithm, algorithmic friend finder of natural life, it's like your friends of friends, they already did the work, you know, they're cool. And then they have found cool people through the, through their life. So it's the best way to meet people is when you're connected organically through others rather than just like randomly meeting somebody and hoping it works. But I really miss that. I miss having a house party where you say, all are welcome, bring anybody, just bring a bottle of wine. And then your house has got 40 people in it and you know 25 of them. And then it's just like you find yourself deep into a conversation at one in the morning with someone you met that night. Like I miss that so much. Yeah. And I'm so excited for COVID zero to work. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's, I'm, I'm just like you, where I have, I have tried, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I don't think I'm as pro noia as you are, but I, I, uh, I'm leaning that way these days. And I'm, I've learned a lot through this time. And I, it's, it's been a, so this, these rings that you're talking about, these rings of friendship. That's interesting to me because I definitely have lost, you know, the, the th- third and fourth layer. There are people that I would see almost every day at the coffee shop. Um, I'm sitting in my shed because I had to make a shed office when the pandemic started, right? Yeah. I, you know, ran Google Fiber out here and did the whole thing, but I didn't have an office before on purpose. I could have had an office, but I wanted right. to be out seeing fucking people Same. like all the time and that's gone. And that hurts like these people that I, you know, yeah, wouldn't have, uh, maybe wouldn't have been invited to their wedding. Maybe maybe I would have, but like we saw each other. We hugged each other every day. We high-fived each other, caught up on stuff. That's totally gone. But have you experienced anyone from the first and second layers that had, or or maybe you thought they were in the first and second layer that also mm. pieced out? Because I have, not many, thank, thankfully, but there have been two or three people. I was just mourning this the other day, actually. People that were in my life that I thought were, like firmly in the first or second layer that when this thing happened i realized oh shit like they were counting on me like i i could show you their text the text conversations right now and show you that it's been me the last five or six you know back yeah. in april then in june then in august then october and then finally i got to the point end of last year where i was like fuck it like i can't i can't keep uh wishing that that friendship would come back i think it's over and i don't even think they that those people right now, if they were listening right now, they would say, No, 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 I don't hate you, Nick. Like, I, I like you a lot, but life is life. And for, for me, too, you weren't in my one layers, one and two. Has that happened for you at all?
0: Um, it that's such an interesting observation because that's so very real. And there's often, there's oftentimes, um, the direction of friendship and what a friendship needs can, is not often equally yoked or it's not always equally yoked to to use a Christian term, but like, meaning I could have a friend who I think is funny and silly and makes me laugh when we go out drinking and they, I can be their friend that there is their like philosopher breakup heart healer. And so Mm. like, I think they're fun and funny. They think I'm like, their therapist, mm. which is a, a different weight of a thing. And so if I, oh, I'm going to go laugh with this fun, funny person over here. They're like, oh my God, my therapist has abandoned me. And I'm like, I never meant to be your therapist. I'm meant to be your friend. Like what's happening. But it's just by the nature of you expressing who you are, the, the there can be an imbalance of needs. And and also just people perceive friendship differently. Some people are, have very like tight, tethered, it's like, oh, I have my five friends. I have my homies. Everyone else is meaningless. I am like, lo- like I grew up with these people. I went to high school with these people. These are my homies for life, the end. And other people are like, oh, like I, I ebb and flow. I change. I like, I don't even talk to my high school friends anymore. I don't even remember my college friends vaguely. In my 20s, I had some good friends. A few of them lingered around. It's like, there's just different... Friendship is like love where it's that word is way too big to be one word. Yeah. And we cram yeah. a lot into that word. And so I have definitely have had friends drift away. I have had in COVID. I just don't really think about that. Like if somebody doesn't talk to me or whatever, I think it's my pro It's like, oh, well, they're just busy, busy. Or, sure. or they have kids and they're freaking out because there's a pandemic I don't have kids. I'm not freaking out. I'm growing wildflowers, but like <laughs> uh, my pro noia off influences, like it just doesn't cross my mind. If someone hasn't texted me, unless I have a crush on them, it doesn't cross my mind. I'm like, Oh, well, when I see you, it'll be great. Like, why, w- why would you stop loving me? Like, I still love you. And maybe I just don't want to see you right now because I'm distracted over here looking at this thing. So I, I just don't, I don't worry about it. Um, even though I know people, worry about me they're like yeah oh my god you haven't texted me and i was like i haven't oh my god i'm so sorry i don't even know what i was doing it's just i'm a distracted person
1: (laughs) i'm gonna like dig into the whole pro thing a little more because i think i don't know if it if it's a if you can learn it um but i feel like i want to learn it more because you're so right this book you alluded to earlier about just the history of the world right and how um i I think it wasn't in in uh to uh your first book to shake, uh, to shake the sleeping self. Uh, he said something like empathy, or uh, uh, um, what what was the quote? Get, getting out there creates empathy. Um, what was the
0: fucking quote? Oh yeah, yeah. It's like experiencing the, the, other.
1: Yeah, yeah. The idea of just like the the expanding your horizons, uh-huh. getting out there creates empathy, and so this idea of if you know what has happened in the past. If you have a good grasp on history, and then you'll know that we're going to be okay. Now that we're going to be okay also includes a bunch of shit. Like five hundred thousand oh, people yeah. have died in this country. Uh, over two million have died worldwide. Uh, people that I know have died. Several of my friends, their parents have died. Like this is a shitty thing, and we're going to be okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Even if
1: even if the future okay exists
0: at once. Yeah, no, yeah, it's true. I mean. The thing is, there's another great book called The Better Angels of Our Nature by Steven Pinker, who just he tracks like how society has gotten better and better and better over time. And we think like, oh, it's the most scary time to be alive. It's the most violent. It's like truly not like people didn't have toilets. People died in childbirth, like one in five women died in childbirth 150 years ago, like died dead. Like it's it was like scary to be pregnant. Yeah. And then you were expected to have 11 kids because four of them would die before the age of five. It's like, and this is, this is the whole world, not just in the poorest part of the world. Everyone was like that. So it's like, we just kind of lose sight. And at the same time, of course we do. Like our brain is designed to think of worst case scenarios for its own survival. And I'm, In many ways, glad we're like that because it makes us fight and push to improve things. We we just got complacent and we're like, well, I guess the minimum wage will always be seven dollars. We should be grateful for anything. It's like, no, you should be fighting and pissed and like pushing for whatever you believe in all the time, even as that thing becomes more and more nuanced.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's totally a balance of, um, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna keep we're gonna keep living and thriving and as you pointed out, we're getting better and better by the day, month, year, decade, century, like 100%. This is the best time ever to be alive.
0: Mm.
1: And also realize we can still hold that intention with, I'm going to fight like hell for the things that matter. And even further, I might not be around to see the fruits of my fighting, right? Think about so many people that have died in the midst of fighting, the MLKs, the Malcolm Xs, the the James Baldwin's, I'm just picking a few people that I'm thinking about right now and reading about mm-hmm. during Black Black History Month, but they didn't get to see the fruits of their labor. Right. Their work, like, way outlived them, and I think that's a good thing. That doesn't feel good to my pride, my ego, but yeah. it feels really good to think, like, oh, I want to work super hard, so hard that whatever I do, like, way outlives me. I don't get to see it actually work because that means I'm working on, like, fundamental,
0: yeah. like, issues.
1: I'm working on real issues that are much bigger than something that i can accomplish in like a month right
0: yeah i think we all there's something in us that craves permanence and maybe it's just our maybe it's like a vestigial emotion to the desire to not die like we fear death and so the idea of like creating something that outlives us maybe like scratches that itch subconsciously yeah but like I feel that too, but also I'm very, very, very to a fault, maybe, um, cosmically fatalistic. Like, yeah, like I don't believe in free will. It, free will doesn't make sense. Choice makes no sense to me. And so, even though yes, I make a choice between Chipotle and whatever In and Out for lunch, I know I'm making that choice, but at the same time, I don't really think I'm making a choice. I don't know what it what that means. Um, and so populating that out into the whole world, anybody doing anything, a conservative believing something wild in my mind or a, a super progressive liberal or someone doing something horrible or something beautiful, it's like, to me, I'm just like, this is the cosmic drama playing out in this massive churning sequence of cause and effect that is way too big for me to understand. And so like, if the human species, if we can't stop climate change and we cook ourselves to death and we're gone. And we only lived on this planet for 2 million years, which is so embarrassing when the dinosaurs had 300 million and they didn't fuck (laughs) it up. And we did it so fast. And they don't
1: even have opposable thumbs for fuck's sake.
0: No, like (laughs) we burned this place down so fast. It's like we started, (laughs) the parents went away and we threw a house party and the cops were called before midnight. It's like, whoops, we like fucked it up too big. Yeah. But, All that to say, if that's what happens, okay, that's what happens. Like humans are gonna do what humans are gonna do. And if you, and the best that we can do is like fight for what feels right. And hopefully what feels right to the most people is a planet that doesn't burn to the ground. Yeah. Uh, Human rights ideas where like we treat each other with basic dignity. It's like, hopefully those things bubble up, but I don't know. I don't know what a human mind is. I don't know if our desire for comfort it will supersede our belief that, you know, our our hope for the future of our species. I have no idea. I have, and I'm very like hopeful with my paranoia, but also I hold it with an open hand and I'm like. I
1: think that's the secret, Jed, like not, the, the, the most peaceful and the most free I've ever felt are the last like five, six years where I've stopped trying to figure everything out, mm-hmm. right? So I, like you, you know, uh, grew up in, well, I don't know, I don't know how conservative or whatever yours was. Mine was like super fundamentalist conservative, you know, uh, like don't watch Harry Potter, uh, mm-hmm. don't wear name brand clothing, Christmas trees are the devil um, all that stuff, you know, gay people are definitely, you know, all damned to hell. And it was just, it's very, very horrible upbringing, lots of abuse. So then I kind of my last, I'm still a very reluctant, I hate to use the word Christian, but that's, that's where I'm at. Like I'm still Mm -hmm. in, but super fucking reluctantly. And there's, and there's just in that there's only a couple things that I know for sure. So I, like my last big theological uh, uh, framework before I started to deconstruct and unravel it all was I worked, I'm go, I'm getting to the whole free will thing because it's so fascinating to me. I worked for, uh, do you know the name John Piper? Does that ring a bell? Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh,
0: so, yeah, you worked for him? So,
1: oh yeah, yep. Damn. Uh, so, okay. so I've been married for 12 years. Uh, and when we first got married, the, the person at that time in my life, the person that had the biggest, I'd read a book called Don't Waste Your Life, and I loved it. I mean, loved, I loved the idea. Like, you've got one shot at it. Like, mm-hmm. do it big, right? Obviously, he was coming from a more, like, theological framework, but I loved the idea of it. And anyway, moved to Minnesota when we first got married, worked there for four years. I mean, I was in it. Like, I worked for his nonprofit, Desiring God. I worked at the church. I led I led music oh God, at the wow. church. They were they were grooming me to you know potentially you know be a church planter, so I was in it. And obviously, if you know anything about John Piper, you know he's like a hardcore like Calvinist, right? Oh yeah, and it's it's a different version of fatalism. It's like God only chooses a few of you, and you don't get a choice in it. Like the rest of you are damned to hell. Uh, just I guess hope that you're in the few. Right. So I like hardcore leaving that. Uh, it took me a few years. It took me a couple of years, but I I totally rejected that idea. And I still reject that idea mm-hmm. that only a few get in. Like that idea I'm still super I'm, I'm, uh, I'm super against. But I also have a big problem with this free will conversation, mm-hmm. because humans are, I want to believe that humans are good, that we have mm-hmm. good intentions and a good nature. But the world would tell me otherwise just looking around would tell me otherwise. We just lightheartedly talked about how we've practically burnt our planet to a crisp in 2 million years. Like we're not (laughs) really in
0: like 3000 years or less. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, It's
1: it's all the, it's all the modern shit that we've made. It's all the stuff that we've made for the sake of making a lot of money and not caring about the planet. Right. So yeah, it's even a shorter period of time. So I look at what we do and how we, how bad we fuck up sometimes. And I'm like, well, free will doesn't, I mean, I want to believe that that's the case, but it doesn't make sense either because we're making a lot of bad decisions. We hurt a lot of people with our free will. So it's interesting to think about. I don't know where I'm going with this other than- I love this conversation. It's somewhere in there because I because I also believe, I don't believe in a pearly gates like heaven, but I do believe that there's an afterlife and I believe it's good and I believe everybody gets there. Mm-hmm. So some sort of like a Jesus universalism sort of, right? Like- I believe everybody gets in. I w- I I want to believe that there's in this in this sort of cosmic play that we're a part of. If 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 um, if free will is not a part of it, and we are all headed somewhere, it might take a you know it might take a Donald Trump multiple lifetimes, maybe reincarnation, maybe purgatory. Something happens that ultimately gets uh, a, a really bad person to the place where they could be part of this. What mm-hmm. again, whatever it is. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at. Other than I'm glad that someone else is wrestling with the okay, obviously it doesn't make sense that a God would you know, choose a few people and then damn everybody else to hell. But also this free will thing is really wild to me because I don't believe we're as good as we think that we are. I believe we're good, but like, there's a lot of bad things happening out there as a result of this free will. But it makes more sense maybe if it's part of this like big cosmic plan. I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, the, honestly, it was when I was diehard evangelical and really exposed to Calvinist ideas that I was like, I remember being like, oh, Calvinism makes a lot more sense than not Calvinism because Mm. I'm like, just in the sense where it's like, if God created everything and God knows everything and he knows the end of time from the beginning of time. So if he created me knowing the choices that I would eventually make, didn't he make me make those choices? What are mm. we talking about? Mm. Like, if he knew my, if, you know, in the Bible, it says every pay, every day of your life is written in a book before one of them comes to be. Okay, well, then, God, it's your fault, not mine. What did I do? You made me. You wrote the fucking book. I didn't write the book. Yeah. What are we talking about? And now I'm going to hell? What are we do? That was so confusing to me. And then Calvinism just basically figured it out. They're like, well, God is mean, but he's God. So if he loves you, let's party. If he doesn't, sorry. Like that's just Everstein roadkill. It just happens. Right. And I was like, okay, well that at least feels more like what we're talking about, even though that sounds horrible. I don't want to worship that God, but I'm scared. And yeah. then, and, and then it was just, my brain was just figuring out like, I don't know whenever I make a choice about anything, Right. there is a, if there is a reason for a choice, then it wasn't really a choice. So like, okay, I'm gonna choose uh, if there's a pizza just out of the oven or a pizza covered in mold, which one are you gonna eat? Oh, well, the pizza just out of the oven because it's not gonna make me sick. Oh, so was that really a choice? why w- what does that mean? Why would you choose the moldy one? and then if you have a reason, well, I actually found out that someone poisoned with cyanide, the one out of the oven and the one with the mold will make me puke, but won't kill me. Well, okay. If there's a reason, then it's not really a choice. You're actually just not dying, mm. which is what we're all trying to do. Right. And so I think every choice is just an atomized experience of that calculation. And so it's like, when we look at the world and it's like, are people fundamentally good? Are they not? I feel, And we're all making choices all the time. The way that I see that You know how like hackers, there's an algorithm that they can like, if they're trying to steal your password to something, there's like a program that will guess every password until it finds yours. And that's how they get in. But it can take, it can take forever. Yeah. So no one would think that algorithm is making choices. It's trying to open a door. It has a goal to get into a door and it's trying, it's just like randomly or maybe not randomly. It's got a algorithm, like a system of trying like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, seven, eight, one, two, three, nine, one, two, three, nine. And, and so you could say, oh, the algorithm is making a billion choices, trying to find the right choice to get through the door, but it's actually just doing what it does. And because it has a goal. And so we are a, computer that has a goal to stay alive and procreate. And so we just try all these things to keep doing that. And we go in the direction of being able to keep doing that, which feels like making choices, but it's actually just when water falls down a mountain and it hits a tree, it turns to go around the tree to keep flowing. It's like, it didn't choose to do it. It just hit the tree. Fascinating. And that that philosophical position to me doesn't change the fact that I feel guilty when I make a bad choice right? or it's my responsibility when I choose to hurt someone else or whatever, because ultimately my job is to thrive in community and survive. And if I'm damaging my community, the shame and guilt I feel is actually a consequence of, of an action that I took, which is trying to divert me to make a different action because when I tested that password, it was wrong. So I need to test another password to keep going. And so it doesn't mean I don't feel everything and, and make choices all day. It, it just, to me, gives me peace that when humans make horrible choices, they're just doing the best with the information that they have at the time and their childhood trauma Pulling the strings of their life, bing bong, bing, like everything's happening all at once. And like we all gotta work hard to figure out how to thrive and survive on this planet. But no one is really at fault. There are no villains in the story. There are just people who are who are do, doing things that are hurting others and they need to be corrected. They need to be stopped. They need to be diverted. And yeah. that might and t- so to me, like the concept of evil, the concept, I mean, I write about it in my new book because I find it so interesting because it's like giving cosmic choice, like you're choosing bad when I'm just like, I don't really see that in the real world. Like anybody that's doing bad things is the hero of their own story. They think it's like Thanos. It's like Mm. Thanos thinks he's doing something great for the universe by solving overpopulation he is the hero and and he knows it's going to get him in trouble and people aren't going to love him for it but so does barack obama barack obama thinks he's doing the best thing for the country and half the country hates him and he's like i know that a lot of people are going to hate me for this but i think it's what's best for our country and that's what every president thinks
1: and we're all varying degrees of um you know, I, I spoke with your BFF Ruthie on the podcast a year and a half or so ago. Uh, and we spent, uh, she's so wonderful. I know. We spent uh, a bit of time talking on this this idea of hurt people, hurt people, right? And yeah. heal people, heal people. And most of us are not healed. We've not done that work. So yeah, let's let's take um, a Thanos or a Trump, for example. Like, mm-hmm. man, I've, I've been reading uh, Mary Trump's book, right? And she gives all this like background on the family. And mm. when you start reading about the environment mm. in which donald trump grew up it is no wonder at all right why he is the way that he is i i don't know whether i can say it's not his fault right. but he is just living out of his reality he lived in a very competitive environment he lived where uh, if you performed well uh, you got a pat on the back and if you weren't doing what daddy wanted, like, fuck you, we're going to make your life miserable. We're going to make you mm-hmm. feel like shit. Like mm-hmm. that was the whole environment. And, um, a, a, father who was constantly trying to, I mean, literally you look at, you read about uh, his father and you're like, oh, it's the, it's two sides of the same. It's yeah. the same. It's the same person in different shape and different time, because there was always this need to look richer and to look younger. I mean, he used to give like his, he used to give uh, a, a different age than he was to like reporters and press because he wanted to, he wanted to be reflected in the media differently. And then wow. we see that his son is saying, I'm worth this much money when there's no proof that that's actually the case, right? Like, it's <laughs> like, well, yeah. you, you can put yourselves on the Forbes, you know, billionaire list. If you say that you're a billionaire and if you can right. somewhat, and you know, if you can somewhat fudge the numbers and make it work. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it gets, it, it, uh. I think it was exposure creates empathy is what you said in the mm. first book. And it's like, when, yeah, when you start exposing yourself to these stories and these ideas, whether it's a person or a place or a thing, you can't help. But I mean, I have grown more in empathy for Trump since literally. So the day that he left office and didn't even stick around, right. To hand over power <laughs> wow. left, left, left on his helicopter. That was the day that I really, and maybe it was because I felt like there was gonna be less pressure. And he hadn't at that point been tweeting for a while because he got kicked off. Like maybe I was just feeling a little better about the situation, but I started to feel sadder for him than I'd ever felt.
0: Well, f- that has everything to do with I mean, so anger is a is an emotional immune response to feeling unsafe, mm. feeling and so mm. and so when someone who is a hurt person is in a position of power, they are they have the ability to hurt you. And so you are going to be angry and fight them until they are no longer in that position of power. And then when they are your peer or you have the space and safety to feel pity for them, you then have the bandwidth because now your your immediate life is no longer in danger or your even concept of democracy sure. in your whole country. Once yeah. they are removed from power, you can see that, like, oh my God, this is like an abused person who is like damaged and needs like counseling and love. And he's never been loved in his life. Like once you remove them from power, I've always said, I think if Trump was just my drunk, rich uncle who had no power and was just talked the way he talked, I would think he was hilarious. I would be like, no one listens to him, but sometimes he's got some real zingers, and they're really mean, but like, I do laugh under the table. It's like, and yet when you put that in power, it is horrifying. Yeah. (laughs) And so, I to my theory about why you feel empathy for him, and and why you might feel empathy for George W. Bush after he's like no longer relevant. Right. It's this, right. It's the whole concept of oh, well, you're no longer you have you don't have the ability to hurt me anymore, so I can now see you from a safe distance and contextualize you.
1: That's super helpful. That whole anger and when you no longer feel trapped, when you feel safer you can see that person, that thing, that idea way differently in the same way that, you know, even our theological upbringing, right? Me being out of it, I still have lots of conservative friends and I have no desire to like kick them out of my circle because I, I feel, I, I know why they're in there. Mm -hmm. I know what they're, why they're fighting back, what they're afraid of. And I'm on the other side and can say, there's no fear over here. You don't be afraid. You know, all these things that you think are going to make you a heretic, if you shift your belief on them, uh, it's, it's okay. Like I can tell you from this side of the equation, things are going to be just fine. And you're going to feel a lot better about yourself. Right. But it gives me a ton of, when I was in it, I was just frustrated all the time and pissed. Then I got out <laughs> and I was able to look back and say, man, I feel, I feel, yes, I feel bad. I feel sad. And I feel way more empathy for uh, these people that are still Maybe trapped is the wrong word, but they're still in it, and they don't yeah. th- and they don't think they can get out of it. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful observation. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about your book. Uh, it's one of the <laughs> reasons I I want to make sure everybody gets your book. Right? So you wrote your first book, mm-hmm. uh, to, sleep, to shake the sleeping self. Uh, in well, you wrote it earlier, but it came out in 2018. Mm-hmm. And this is your journey uh, riding a bike from Oregon to Patagonia. The book is insanely well done um, you're a great storyteller. Obviously you don't need me to tell you that. <laughs>
0: oh my God.
1: And, thank you. um, that book made me, uh, just fall in love with you and your stories. And, and I resonated with that. I didn't ride a bike from Oregon to Patagonia, but I've lived a very adventurous life. Born in New York, raised in Guatemala. My dad was a Guatemalan immigrant. We moved there for 10 years. I started exploring the world. Even as a teenager, my parents were like, fine, go, you know, so they were good about that. And I went off and explored some. And then when I graduated from high school, I traveled the world, and so I think one of the reasons that I really loved uh, what you were talking about, I think there's two different kinds of people. Maybe that were reading that book. They're reading that book because they needed. They've never left their <laughs> three state radius or the country, mm-hmm. and they're like they're they're living this adventure through you. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Again, I have I haven't done that trail, but I loved it because I found someone else that has also found the the benefits of getting out and mm. living day by day, not knowing what's gonna happen next. And, mm-hmm. you know, trying to communicate with people that are, uh, whether it's language or culture, background, whatever, like are totally different from us. And we don't know what's gonna happen. Like, I love that shit. I am the happiest when I'm not in the United States. I don't actually like to live here. Um, people are sick of he- hearing me say that on the podcast, but I don't. I don't love living here. I'm here for a lot of reasons, family, career, But I long for the day that I can leave and maybe never come back except for holidays.
0: Do you know where you want to live? Or is it more just the concept of being on the go?
1: No, I mean, I, so I love, um, I spend a lot of time in India. I love India, but I don't know that I'd want to live there. The weather is not up, you know, the the, the, majority of their weather is not up my alley. I like uh, cool, more temperate places. I love Europe. I love Eastern Mm -hmm. Europe, but I love Europe for so many reasons. Europe's got, its own set of shit to deal with, right? But I love Europe. I've also talked about moving short-term back to Guatemala with my family to show them, like, it's a dangerous country. It's not, you know, not the safest place to be, but it's amazing. The people, Mm -hmm. the food, the country's super amazing. So not entirely sure where we would go, even if we left. But I loved, I loved, I identified with that spirit of adventure. Mm -hmm. And I, I just loved find. I love finding more people that are like, yeah, you can do it. You know, I, I think a lot yeah. of people have probably, and you you would know this better than me, they've taken more adventures since reading your book, right? I would imagine. I think they, so.
0: People have told me that. They're like, you, I quit my job or I finally committed to the gap year or I, you know, just went with my family for three weeks, but we wouldn't have done it without. So I, that, that's been really a cool thing to see people prioritizing the experience of getting out of your routine and your comfort zone to like awaken your mind. Yeah. People have really done that.
1: What, uh, coming out of that book, which is a New York times bestseller coming out of that book, what made you want to write again? And what, so the first book, there was a very clear subject matter, right? It was, it was, I'm going to tell this, this story of my journey, right? 10,000 miles. This one's a lot different. It's, um, you know, there's ego, family, home, friendship, love, work, death, the soul, these, these big ideas that people have spent, you know, millennia trying to figure out. And you're telling these stories through, you know, your, through your worldview, through your outlook, like what, t- take us on the journey from to sl- to shake a sleeping self to this book. How did that happen? What were some of the maybe barriers to entry to like getting started on it? Because maybe there was some, maybe was there any point in there where you were like, do I have anything else to write about? you know, or like, how am I going to write a book that doesn't have this like big adventure behind it?
0: Totally. Well, that was a big fear of mine because I thought, well, the people, the reason people read me or followed me on Instagram in the first place was because of my big adventure. Like that was Mm -hmm. the point. And Mm -hmm. then when I finished my bike trip, I was certain that everyone would unfollow me because it's over. I was like, okay, bye. Like, and then they didn't. And then it just, they kept coming and they kept responding. Like when I would just, when I would think out loud about Black History Month or the, le- you know, the legacy of whatever it is, like Michael Jackson's uh, scandalous life and processing, lo- also loving his music, whatever that is. Like I, I found that people loved that. They were like, oh my God, this, this, we want more of this. Make a book of these, make a book of this. And I was like, Oh wow, you're not just here for adventure. You're actually here to like think with me and process. And I got enough of that feedback that I was like, okay, this could be a book. And then very much so I am of the belief that you write the book you wish you could read. Like as a writer, I'm like, I would never write a book. I wouldn't want to read period. So it's like, what doesn't exist that I wish did. And there was this, like, one of my heroes, friend Lebowitz. She talks about oh my how God. she'd die for her. She, but she I, says she doesn't read for plot for story. Right. She doesn't care what happens to the people. She reads for language. She loves mm. a sentence. She reads every sentence on its own. She just loves the flow of language. And so, no matter how good a story is, if the language isn't right, she cannot suffer through it. And I wanted to write a book that was just this love letter to language and ideas. And so I, I picked the eight subjects of being human that I think we all should be thinking about more seriously because life is so complex and confusing. We can be distracted very easily. (laughs) (coughs) Sorry. And I wanted to invite people into just like contemplation and playful contemplation about the most important things like death, like, like love, like career. Yep. And another thing that I hear a lot from people is that they say, I don't ever have conversations like this, or I don't know anyone that talks like this. Like i got a lot of that after to shake the sleeping self. They're like, I don't have anyone in my life to talk to about these things. And so I wanted to write a book that felt like you were having that conversation with me. Like, I was like, I'll talk about everything about life with you and I'll make it something you can journal about something easy, something inviting, but also deeply thought provoking and challenging. And so it was really just the book I wanted to write, which is let's think deeply about what matters about your own life and your own identity.
1: You were one of the first people that I followed on, on Instagram that used the Instagram caption as uh, a blog journal you know, Mm -hmm. longer form. Right. Um, And that's where you, you roped me in because I was already on board. Like, I didn't think that I would like that. I don't like that for most people. Usually when I see a caption that's longer where it says, you know, like, like click for more. Yeah. For most people, I don't even do that because it's them. You know, I don't know. I just don't, I'm not interested in them elaborating on whatever the photo is, (laughs) but I think people do. I know I long for it. I love these conversations. I could talk to you for 20 hours. Like there's, there's <laughs> Same. We, we have we have a we have a longing. There's so much fast-paced shit going on. And there's so many quick dopamine hits. And there's so many like, let's, you know, let's watch this sh- like it's a new show or it's new this. It's, you know, very quick, fast-paced yeah. things. Yeah. Books are. Like words, not not even books. Words are so so much different than anything else. Like I am working on a TV show right now. I talk for a living on this podcast, and you know, I I I yeah, talk for a living. And but I but I'm fast. But I'm also a big book reader, and I have hesitated based on what you just said. What you just described, what this whole idea of writing the book that I would want to read. I've had a, a a very gracious book agent hanging on with me since last year and I've still not sent in a complete, uh, book proposal. She's got publishers waiting. She's got people mm-hmm. just waiting for this book proposal because of the work that I've been doing. Right. And I just can't get it out. Mm-hmm. And I think you just clarified it for me that I don't quite know yet what book I would want to read for me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to write a book just to write a book. Right, It's, it's a lot of
0: fucking work. It's labor. If you do it like that, it's miserable.
1: It's miserable. And I'm not going to, you know, as a first time author with a pretty small niche platform, like I'm not going to get paid. I'm not going to get compensated enough for all the work that it's going to be, you know, that's going to go into it. So I've just been, I just had an email exchange with her the other day and she's like, I'm waiting patiently. You're good. Take your time. But I feel so bad, but also I'm not going to just like push a proposal out there for a book that I'm not going to want to like read. Right.
0: Exactly. It's like, That is, for me, the only way that I can write at all is, do I, I'm an extrovert, I'm an Enneagram 7, I'm a double extrovert, and I need to work, I need to speak or write to get my thoughts out of my head, because I don't, I can't feel them, I can't see them, they're not real, they're just, they're a gray fog until I like solidify them into language, But I can, the fog does have a label. Like it knows that I'm like very uncomfortable about like the immigration assimilation debate. Okay, that is like very confusing to me. So that makes me want to sit down, read books, articles, and then try to like put into words. First, I try to put into words what makes me uncomfortable. And Mm. then I try to put into words what I glean from that discomfort and the reading. And so for me, like, working on a book is very much like, God, I wish someone had said, you know, like like in Like Streams to the Ocean, my new book and my mm-hmm. chapter on death, I'm like, I find death so interesting because we fear it and we find it to be so unacceptable and yet everywhere around us in nature is constant death. Like every second is like a hawk killing a squirrel killing a spider, killing an ant, killing a, like it is blood and guts in every direction. And and yet we do not find that to be morally reprehensible at all. That's nope. great. That's exactly as it should be. And yet death in the human sphere is so horrible, is a, is, is a failure. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, I, what does that mean? And so processing that confusion out loud And I'm like, ooh, hell yeah, I would read that. Like, I've been thinking about that. I want to read about that.
1: Yeah, you picked...
0: It it makes the writing so much easier.
1: You picked, you know, eight essays, eight topics that I think... I'm just... I'm looking at them right now, even on my notes. And they're they're things that everybody wants to talk about and doesn't. Oh, yeah. You know, like doesn't. We skip... I mean, who wants to sit down and have a deep dive on ego? Or... (laughs) Or... Yeah, death. I mean, death is something that I, I'm i very in line with the Stoics on death. And, you know, you have this part in the book where you talk about getting off the walking trail, right, and seeing this flower. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, I could be the only one to ever see this flower, right? Because it could die. And, you know, somebody walk on it or it just dies naturally. Yeah, I randomly
0: and, went to pee. Like, there's no trail here. No one will ever see this flower.
1: yeah. And you're right to point out that there's death all around us and we don't scoff at it. I'm vegan, so I don't partake in this part of nature, but we eat animals, you know, the majority of humans eat animals every single day. They have death on their their lunch plate every single day, and we don't scoff at it. And yet when we talk about humans existing for a small period of time um, and then dying, we get super fucking uncomfortable about it. Instead of embracing that as, you know, we love to sing Circle of Life on Lion King, And then when it happens to us or when we're thinking about it in our context, it's super reprehensible to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, And it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way because death is, I'm gonna delay death as long as I can. Um, I will live as long as I possibly can. But I think we should, we need, our our lives are so fragile. Um, I mean, how many, again, 500,000 people just from COVID in this last year, people that thought they were invincible, people that shouldn't Mm -hmm. have died, right? They weren't unhealthy. They weren't this, they weren't that. And we're still, one of the things that we're not talking about with COVID is, which I hate that, you know, Americans are so, not just Americans, but I'm living in this context are so short-sighted that like, we're not talking about long COVID. We're not talking about people that are going to have the millions of people that did get it. Many of them, the majority of them are going to have health problems from here on out because of it. It's not the simple, you know, yearly flu. There are people, I have a friend that got it in March of last year, like right when it was all happening. She's still, she's young, she's fit, she's healthy. She still can't walk up a flight of stairs. whoa, we're a year later. Ugh. and so but 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 that is life, and we have exactly. to have these conversations. We have to walk us through um, I don't want you to I mean, I have quotes that I could you know, t- talk back to you and see your thoughts, but <laughs> I, I, I I love I want everybody to go buy the book, please walk us through the even these eight essays, are they in a particular order? Are you working through a progression here? Walk us through the the kind of implementation of how should we go into this book for those that haven't read it yet? How should we? I have read it, but how should we go into it? Um, you know, in the order of these uh, essays, like how should we go into it? What what, what well, do they, want pe- what mean, do you want people to know going into it?
0: The structure of the essays or the subjects was really going from the interior to the exterior. So it starts with ego, basically like what makes you a a thing? Like what are you as a you? Like what is you-ness? And then, you know, it's all – an ego is kind of like wrapped up over the entire book because everything ties back to it. But then it's like, well, the first experience that you have is a sense of family whatever that looks like, that was what made you. Cause that was before you had control over your own life in any direction. Then it goes to home, which is the place that made you. Then it goes to friends, which is like the community that you discovered as you started to like find your way. And from friends, it goes to wait,
1: what? After friendship, it's love.
0: Yeah. Friends love is love, which soul. is like love, which is like finding a partner, like the cry of some of most of our hearts is to like bond, then it's work, right? And that is like, what are you doing to like feed yourself? And also like, what is this concept of finding your passion and a job that you love? And do you have a purpose on this planet? Or are you just random atoms bouncing around? And all of that is so interesting to me. So I love writing about that. And then from work, it's like death, which is, we're all going to do it and we don't talk about it. And I think it has so much to say. I remember there's a great Steve Jobs quote, which I can't really remember very well, but it's, it's about like, we have everything to thank. Like, did we, we have to thank death for everything because without death, there is no newness without something going away. There is no new thing without the close of the day. There is no dawn. He's like, Death is what gives us rebirth and rebirth is what gives us invention, innovation, progress, anything, anything that you love is because of death, which I found to be so, such a cool reframing. And then from there is the concept of the soul, which like I have deconstructed and reconstructed and deconstructed so many times, but I just, just the like cosmic spirit humming through all of your life and all of the universe is something that, Whether you believe in the spiritual world or not, like we all have some thoughts about it, whatever that is. And so I wanted to process that too. So yeah, it's just me processing the things that I think I want to talk about.
1: (laughs) Because these essays build on each other, I love that you put work where you did because that's not the natural place to put it in Mm. in our current, in how we think about life. We define ourselves by our work. Right. Mm -hmm. If I were to meet you for the first time, I don't know you from anyone. Hi, my name is Jed. Hey, Jed, what do you do for a living? Right. Almost, almost naturally. What do you do for a living? I want to know if we're going to like, if we're going to be able to hang based on like, am I going to like you based on, you know, if you work at the, you know, the waste, you know, the the city waste uh, uh, company, you know, or if you're a writer or if you mm-hmm. direct films, I know that you, that was part of your story and may, maybe in the future, you know, like you direct, whatever you do, we wanna know that about people. But if you don't take care of, if you're not in a good place, if you haven't first started with, and I love that you started with Ego. One of, one of my favorite books in recent years uh, is Ego is the Enemy from Ryan Holiday. Mm. And you know, a lot of that is built, do you, have you read much of Ryan Holiday? Do you no, know? no. Ryan Holiday's, uh, I mean, I have mixed thoughts about him. I, I love the guy. He's, he's younger than me, way smarter than me. So I hate him for that. But I love <laughs> him. Uh, he, he, he is really in line with, he loves the Stoics. And I've learned a lot of my Stoic philosophy f- through Ryan Holiday. But he wrote a book called Ego's the Enemy. And we don't start there. Yeah. So everything else kind of gets fucked up because we haven't addressed what's happening mm. here i oh, love i want to read this book i love that you have ego at the beginning and the soul because like you've couched it in this yeah. like in- introspection right if we don't if we can't figure out our place in this world who we are uh you know what yeah what's going on in the universe that brought me here right i'm 37 years old in 2021 like how the hell did that happen mm-hmm. you know there's a one in like four trillion chance that my dad's sperm, you know, right. like met my mom's egg at that mm-hmm. exact time, right? Like I could have been a, I could have been a nothing, you know, mm-hmm. if he, if he would have done his thing two seconds later. Right. Yeah. And so I'm here, why? And kind of figure out that ego stuff. But I, I just love that. I love the progression. I love where work is because I am a, I am a recovering sort of workaholic. I love Mm. working um, with all the clients I have right now and with my company, Let's Give a Damn, and with this nonprofit that I'm starting and all these things, like I work 75, 80 hours a week, way too much, I know that. My family knows that, we're figuring out how to make all that work. But I have to, I'm constantly checking myself. Nick, why do you, sure, you have all these opportunities in front of you, we're pitching a TV show right now, all these cool things happening, but like, why? Like, Mm. if if, if I'm not a healed person, If I haven't taken care of all the other things and if my family is not, you know, four chapters before my work, if I haven't figured that Mm. out and these friendships that we talked about earlier on and love with my wife, our, our, our like base level friendship, are we actually friends Mm -hmm. And and then go deeper into all the love stuff before I get to the work part, I'm fucked because I have that tendency toward workaholism. I love to work. I love creating things. I love making Mm -hmm. stuff. I'm not scared if you don't like it or not. I just put it out there, (laughs) you know? And that can be really, that can make me a really bad person
0: if Mm.
1: I've not figured out some of this previous stuff, right?
0: Well, and Pete, exactly. I I think that if you are not seriously thinking about all those other things, then your work will suffer. Because your life will suffer because you are understanding that you are a composite of all these huge pieces. And every one of the pieces before work is influential and foundational to the work that you're doing because everyone's a human and we all have multiple factors of our identity. And I think, what do you do for a living is such shorthand. And I get it. I don't, people are like, I hate it when people ask that question. And I'm just like, well, what are you going to ask me? Like, what's my childhood trauma? I don't know. Like, don't ask me that. Like, I I don't mind niceties because it's like you're vibing, you're figuring it out. But it can't, most people don't even know how to talk. I mean, I don't know if you remember cocktail parties like they used to exist. And you meet somebody and most people have no idea. It's their nightmare to have like small talk with somebody. But it's like, okay, well, I don't know what you're asking for. You want to have like deep therapy the moment you start. No, nobody wants that either. So you, it's like talking and conversation is a muscle that you have to exercise. And truly, if you just embrace curiosity and understand that everyone loves talking about themselves. So learn to ask questions and be interested and learn from someone else's life. Then you'll never worry about talking to people again. You'll have a blast everywhere you go. But I so appreciate you saying that about the structure of the book because I hadn't really put it in words like that. But the moment you said it, it clicked into my mind of like, that is so true. Like work is a major part of your life, but it it shouldn't come first in the book. Like we think it should.
1: No, hundred percent. Let's, um, so there's two quotes, there's two ideas from the book that I want to bring together here. Uh, for the last few minutes that we're together, maybe we'll do this again another time because I have so much I that I so. want to talk to you about. <laughs> but like, so this idea of, because um, we're all trying to find our place, right? The the weirdness in you is the very thing that someone might need. Coupled with the idea of, like, I have very big ambitions. I have very big ideas. I wanna. I mean, I as a, as a hardcore Enneagram Eight, like I exist. Whether healthy or unhealthy, I exist to fuck shit up, as I say. It. Like I exist to, to kind of like uh, challenge and you know protect the vulnerable, challenge the powers that be. Like that's that's how I think about the world, and I have all these big ideas. I don't use the phrase "change the world" like I used to, because that's impossible for any one person to do. I understand the idea behind it, but it's impossible. And it also like can hurt you by thinking that you have a chance at changing the world. But this idea of having these big ambitions versus like the people that I know that have these sort of big ideas and big ambitions, and I'm one of them, sometimes miss what's happening right in front of us. Mm. And we miss the chance to impact the people around us, the barista, our our housemates, our families, um, the people we walk by on the street, little opportunities that are happening all the time, we miss because we're thinking, oh, I've got this big thing to do. Like if, if I'm successful with this X, Y, or Z idea, it could have humongous ramifications. It could change a whole system or a whole structure. But in the meantime, we're missing all this shit that's happening right in front of us. Talk about that for a minute. Like how do you feel, how, how do you, because you're also on this big stage, right? You have a big platform um, where people are listening to you. They're reading your books. They're, they're liking and commenting and sharing your Instagram posts. How do, you, how do you work through that? Or is that even a problem for you? Or is it easy for you to shut that off and focus on what's in front of you? How do you work through that all the while knowing that like who you are, the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly that makes up Jedediah, the weirdness that makes up Jedediah is exactly what a lot of people need in that moment, mm. like in real, real time, real, you know, in person.
0: I mean, you, you said it exactly. The weirdness in you is exactly what someone needs. And I think, so both, both ways, I think about this come from my like mentor friend, Tom Shadyak, um, who's a film mm. director and writer. And he has an incredible book called life's operating manual <clears throat> that I recommend everybody order. But, he taught me two concepts. One is the idolatry of magnitude. And he, he learned this when I worked at invisible children, everyone at invisible children was like, we're going to change the world. We're creating a global community of millennials yeah. Yeah. activists. Like, and, and, our goal was to arrest Joseph Kony and send him to The Hague, to the ICC, to put on trial and to show that international human rights, like we care about the least of these. You could be a little kid in the middle of the jungle in central East Africa, and we're still going to find the person who did this to you and put them on trial. Like, mm. even if you have no money, even if your country doesn't care about you, the world does. That was like, oh my God, we're going to change the world. And, and, and because it was, and is so hard to actually catch a, brilliant rebel leader hiding in a jungle with no roads the size of Texas um, that we felt like a failure, constantly failure. And and Tom was like, you all suffer from the idolatry of magnitude. You don't understand that you have awakened hundreds of thousands Mm. of high school students to a larger world, to empathy, to spending their energy and free time to raise money, to build schools, to care about someone they've never met. Like, you are changing lives all the time and look around this office. there's these are 19, 20 year olds who have raised money in their own home to come volunteer to work here for a semester to like try to save lives and inspire people. You don't think that that's worth your time. You don't think that's cos- sending cosmic ripples all the way to the edge of the galaxy. And it was just such an eye-opening thing of, when you're so laser focused on a goal, you miss what's the beautiful, like, effects of, of, of building community. And, and don't do, it. Like, just basically don't do that. He also taught me um, this concept of basically thinking about your role in the world as you are a member of an orchestra. So if you if you're a flute, and you're sitting there, you're like, I sound nothing like the timpani or I wish I sounded more like a violin. Well, you're not a violin and you never will be. A violin is a violin. Mm. That ain't your job. Mm. Your job is to b- play the beautiful music that you play. And when all the instruments are playing, it's beautiful music, okay? Mm. It's not just, if we were all one instrument, it might be cool, but it would nearly be the level of beauty of a full orchestra. And so if someone is... If someone is hyper obsessed with changing policy and changing the world and hugely ambitious and you just actually really care about local homeless outreach or about if you really care about planting flowers and the medians of the freeway because it's so ugly being stuck in traffic trying to commute from Spring Hill to Nashville and you just wish it was beautiful for these people losing their mind, right? Right. If that is what wakes you up, then that is your note in the orchestra. Let's go, go do that. Like you have a note to play in the harmony of this music, go play it. Like don't wish you were someone else. And, and yes, there is like always this seeking balance because it's funny. Like the people that really, really, really change the world off, almost always it comes at the sacrifice of family you think of martin luther king you think of almost anybody gandhi yep. you think of steve yep. jobs you think of these yep. all of them have made enemies in their intimate circle because they were so obsessed with changing the world and guess what they did change the world and i'm and we're all better for it but that came at a personal cost for them which was their obsession yeah and so cosmically as we all know i just believe that we're all part of this cosmic drama that doesn't make sense but it's beautiful to watch it's like (laughs) they made a sacrifice which was they negatively impacted their children but they positively impacted millions and that was that came at a cost and i don't know what to say i don't know if it's better to save the world at the expense of your children's well-being or not i don't i don't i don't want to make that assessment. And I have no idea, but I am curious if you can change the world without, without it costing people, because true, a lot of times true excellence requires obsession and focus. And if you are obsessed and focused, it is very difficult to also be obsessed and focused with your family. Now, I think there has to be uh, the pursuit of healthy balance. I mean, you could speak to this way better than me. I don't have a family. But like one would hope that you can outsource and be obsessed for six hours a day and then be obsessed with your kids for four hours a day. And that's like way I, – I think a lot of people, because obsession is almost like a mental illness, it's hard to actually find balance. It's why when you think of the crazy genius, their hair is – wild and their clothes are on backwards because they can't think about that shit. They're busy, like solving equals MC squared. Yep. So I don't, this is a perfect example of me not knowing what I'm talking about speaking in my confusion, but it's just, there is an idolatry of magnitude that some of us need to step back from, but also the flip side of that is obsession and focus really do change the world or make the most beautiful art. And, and so I think in the tension of those two truths is like a good impactful, useful life.
1: I love your framing of that and that's that's what I I, I feel like I'm in a sort of healthy place. My family and I are constantly working on figuring it out um, and I'm not working on something that has you know changed the world at this point. but I think I think you're right there's a balance in there and I honestly think this is the generation to, this is the generation you said like i don't know if it's possible to do those things in intention i think this is the generation that's going to birth or we're going to be able to see that happening where it hasn't mm. happened in previous generations cuz i'm seeing more and more people and maybe it's the advancement of technology the the ease in which we get to create across you know we don't have to create in person anymore we can create across you know time zones and you know uh, uh physical borders and all that stuff we don't we don't need to be It's a whole different playing field now for creating and making shit, right? Mm. So I think this is the time. I I want to see that happen because I have very big ambitions, but I also don't want to, I also want my kids to love me. And I I want to hang out with them 15 years from now. I want them to not dread going home for the holidays because dad was this way and that way. And again, I think we're in a good place, but I could see it getting out of hand at some point if I don't stay healthy. yeah, there's a balance there. And mm. I love that you're also, man, keep speaking out of your confusion because I'm trying to do that. And I think people need that. We need to be mm. speaking out of our confusion. I, I I talked about this guy that I was uh going back and forth, this white, straight evangelical guy that was, you know, <laughs> about this whole equality act yesterday that passed the house. Thank God. Um, mm. but it was his lack of now I was coming on strong as well, but it was his lack of, he, he literally, he said, I have not been disrespectful. I have, I have not been, I have not tried to push my opinion on you. And I screenshotted the whole conversation and sent it to him. And I was like, you're going to read these words and say that you weren't, that you were open to a discussion here. Mm. Like you were mowing over. Oh, another woman chimed in that was talking about her uh, non-binary child. Uh, because this guy basically was, he was on board with trans people are the greatest threat to our children, uh, which is something that this it. idiot, Matt Walsh said, and that's the post that I had shared. And, um, and he said, yes, I believe that is the case, not the physical people, but the lobbying behind it and the agenda, you know, the leftist agenda behind it. And he, this, again, a friend of mine chimed in about her non-binary child. And this guy came back and said, "Your confused daughter, right? this is what he came back with. And I'm like, Mm. you, you, you're trying to convey that you're open here. My, my point is this, this, this desire to learn Mm. and these speaking out of our confusion in a way that you're well-read, you're well-learned, like you're not speaking out of ignorance. You are simply speaking mysteries out into the world and saying, these are the things that people have fought about and talked about for millennia. I don't, assume that we're going to figure it out in our lifetime. So let's keep throwing it up. Let's keep throwing it around. Like, let's keep talking about these issues. Because for me to ever get to the point, uh, these big cosmic ideas and issues, for me to get to the point where I'm like, I know what's happening here. That's the whole problem with the evangelical Christian Christian background that we grew up in, in my mind, is that they saw this book, the Bible, and they took it word for word, even though the, the Bible is full of full of good things too mm-hmm. but it's full of terrible things that were said and <laughs> yeah. done to each other the the god of the bible is i mean especially in the Wild. old testament is a real asshole that like killed everybody that he didn't like oh yeah so if you're saying that if, if you're saying i'm sure about everything that's happening in the world based on this book <laughs> we, we can't learn that way we can't mm-hmm. grow we can't grow we can't mature that way and we definitely can't Going back to the beginning of your book, we can't view our ego rightly mm-hmm. if we go into these conversations about these humongous cosmic ideas with uh, uh, assurance that we know what the hell's going on. Like, that's just the Ex- wrong way to approach it.
0: Uh, well, it, it, I, we could go another hour because I have so many thoughts about that. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> but, do a
1: round two. Let's do a round two at some point. I'd love I, to. I, I just asked one of the most listened to conversations that. I've done so far was with Josh Radner. And yeah. we, we did it last, right before the pandemic hit. He was in Nashville, we did it in person. Went for two and a half hours. And it's still the most talked about one. And it was a lot of this. It wasn't even like, you know, I do a lot of episodes where it's highlighting the amazing things people are doing in the world. They have a, mm-hmm. a nonprofit or a project or a business that they started that's giving back, whatever. But the but I know what people want to listen to because of the <laughs> conversations they want to hear more of. Yeah. Um, you know, I just I just did one with Coleman Domingo last week, uh, an amazing actor, and we talked about so much of his like upbringing, being a black gay man in America. Um, this latest movie he did with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with Viola Davis, and like we didn't get to oh you're doing all this amazing stuff in the world. We talked about <laughs> life and we talked yeah. about abstract ideas, and sure enough the feedback I'm getting from that one is way different and way yeah. higher in volume than the one where I'm telling the story of the person doing good in the world. So I'm actually currently trying to figure out how to balance those on this show because the ones that people want to hear more about, I, I mentioned Josh because I was like, Josh, do you want to do a round two? I just got a really long email from somebody a year later and they're like, this, this podcast changed my life, right? Wow. So I'm like, let's, oh my let's, God, keep, I'm going to go listen to it. Let's keep talking. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, but it was just fun. We talked about everything. We talked about Ramdas, We talked about porn. We talked about like, we went everywhere in that conversation mm. and that's life,
0: right? Like, I mean, it's the flow of a conversation. You're at, you're in Paris, you're at a cafe, you've got a cig. You're like, let's just talk and pro. I mean, I just love conversation with smart people that have a good heart mm. that like, if you see the world as a potentially beautiful place and you want to process all the clues that you've found in your life, let's fucking do it all yep. day and all night.
1: Yeah. I agree. Well, for today, let's wrap up there. Uh everybody <sighs> go get well get both of your books. Uh <laughs> but I would I would say what okay, if people are just finding out about you, should they start with uh your first one or come right on to the second one or doesn't matter to you?
0: You know, it doesn't matter because it's like, it depends on what you're going through in your life.
1: They're very standalone. One of them
0: will just read the the jacket of each one and be like, oh, I feel like this one right now. Or get both of them. I don't know. They're very standalone.
1: Get both of them. That's what I'm going to tell people. (laughs) That's what I'm going to link to in the show notes is get both fucking books. Uh, Thank you so much for giving us some time. I think the world of you, this
0: was really great. Oh my God, I do too. I can't wait to come back. (laughs)
1: Dear friends, thanks so much for spending some time with Jedediah and me. Buy his books today and go follow him on Instagram at Jedediah Jenkins. And please visit letsgiveadam.com to learn more about what we're up to and what we're building at Let's Give a Damn. Thank you for showing up, my friends. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound on Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at let's give a damn.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.